so um <laughs> welcome to theology on tap uh i think we will get started so usually we meet once a month um this being the first wednesday of the month uh it's today usually we've been meeting the first wednesday of the month we will see um what the pattern goes forward from here i anticipate doing another one of these zooms uh in may and i have a couple of invites out and i'm, I'm sort of seeing where we go but one of the interesting things about these days is just like we can't all be in the same room, but other people can join us from as far away as New Zealand. I think uh, Matt Prest gets uh, gets the prize for being the farthest away. Um, but uh, because we can do this from remotely, we might be able to get somebody in on the Zoom that uh, we wouldn't have been able to get locally in St. Louis for next time. So stay tuned. Um, if you haven't signed up for our email list, uh, you must have somehow because you got the email that got you into here. Um, but do keep an eye on our Facebook page and our email list. Um, if you go to the Facebook page for Theology Untapped St. Louis, uh, that where the link was, and you're not on the email list, there is a link there on those Facebook page or at pubtheologystl.org uh, to sign up for, uh, for the um, updates. And we will be sending out an update about what May looks like and then what the months going forward look like if we're able to gather back in person. So originally we were gonna be in the Schlafly uh, Bottle Works um, side room where we've had the last few theology on taps um, after our hiatus when we had to move. Uh, and I was really excited about this and I'm still really excited about this because this is the first time that I've had a chance to sort of interview our Bishop elect uh, in a sustained way um, that is not having to do with a whole bunch of like, what decisions are we gonna make about how Episcopal clergy have to do this, that, and the other thing. Um, <laughs> we, we got a little bit of that during the process before the election, during the walkabouts, but things were tense and there were questions and we all were doing heavy discernment and praying. And, uh, and so now it's just really nice uh, to get to say, even in the midst of how crazy this is, uh, what a pleasure it is to welcome uh, the Reverend Dion Johnson as our Bishop-elect um, and how much we're looking forward to having your consecration in whatever form that may take and having you be our Bishop. Awesome. Well, thank so, you for the welcome. And what I'd like to do is we made tonight's topic uh, faith for challenging times. But before we get too deeply into the challenging times we face that we're all spending so much of our brain power on and so much of our soul on at the moment, um, deciding whether or not to turn on NPR or when to turn it off and things. Uh, I thought I'd ask the question that one of my interview heroes, uh, Krista Tippett asks, uh, which is, could you tell me a little bit about, if we're gonna talk about faith for challenging times, tell me a little bit about your spiritual upbringing um, what brought you to spiritually these challenging times? And then we'll engage in the uh, other question. Okay, sounds like a fair question. <laughs> um, so I grew up on a small island from the island of Barbados. Um, and my faith was shaped a lot by my grandmother. Um, she was, well, I probably should back up before that. Um, I was, I think, Episcopalian slash Anglican before I was even born. Um, my mother was one of those people who went to the church for this wonderful liturgy called the Churching of Women. Um, it was this um, liturgy from the medieval times that was, that was still being used 
um, for women preparing for childbirth. So you went to the priest and you got the blessing before the baby was born. And so I was one of those um, babies that endured the churching of women before I was even born. Um, and then I grew up in a household with my grandmother, who is right in that picture there. You probably can't see the detail, but she's that little picture there is my grandparents. Um, she was one of those people who in the morning did morning prayer and in the evening did evening prayer. And throughout the day, she sang and she sang and she sang some more. Um, and so I am... I am almost steeped in all of these hymns and songs that have been a part of my faith journey since I was a child. Um, my grandmother was one of those people who had a song for every occasion. So if it was a good day, she had a song for that. If it was a bad day, she had a song for that as well. And if she was having a hard day, a, a crisis of faith day, she had a song for that too. Um, and so I find myself, um, when I'm stressed or in times of crisis, defaulting back to the things that, that are familiar. So a familiar piece of a hymn would come to mind or a familiar song. Um, and so those things are kind of shape me and, and keep me through these, this, these crisis times. So um, that's that. I'll use that by way of introduction. <laughs> oh, I think. Mike is muted. <laughs> oh, so now it's just the, the Dion show. <laughs> oh, no, there we go. So no. <laughs> I, because I gave away the hosting, I have to l rely on Cheyenne to unmute me. The things we're learning about Zoom these days. Um, <laughs> so a follow-up to that. So you, that's the faith of your childhood. But in your walkabouts, you talked a little bit about an altar guild that was particularly um, meaningful to you in a parish. <laughs> like what, I mean... It, Give us a little bit of the story forward. Like what, yeah. um, when did you come to the States? What did the um, journey into the Episcopal Church and into the priesthood bring to you? And what, and what brought you to uh, St. Paul's in Brighton? Okay. Um, so I moved from Barbados when I was about 14 um, to New York City, uh, just outside New York City, Westchester County. Um, and it was ironic because growing up in Barbados, the church is called the Anglican Church. And so I was looking for the Anglican church and I never found it. Um, I, I went to a Catholic church for a couple months um, and then I stumbled across um, this Episcopal church and someone said, well, you know, that's the Anglican church. And I went, well, it doesn't look like an Anglican church, it's an Episcopal. Um, and so I walked in one day um, and it turned out that it really was an Anglican church just called something completely different. Um, I, I went to one church for a while, um, but they didn't quite know what to do with people who had cultural differences. Um, and so I stopped going to that and I discovered this other Episcopal church that had lots of folks from the Caribbean, um, that had lots of Caribbean expression of faith that was familiar to me. And so I became a member of that parish. Um, and a part of that means bringing that culture of the whole village um, discernment in, in the, the, my cultural context isn't just me thinking about it on my own. It takes like everybody else to kind of say, well, these are the gifts that we see in you. You need to go and do this. Um, and usually I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the person that God usually has to hit with a two by four to get the message. Um, but 
the, the one group of people that you do not cross, especially if you're from the Caribbean, is the Alta Guild. <laughs> um, when I went off to college, um, I found myself at this small parish not too far from the university that I grew up in, or that I went to, um, and these women of the Alta Guild who had seen me become a chalice bearer and a Eucharistic minister and reader and, you know, all that stuff, who kept saying to me, you need to, you need to look at going to the priesthood. And I kept thinking, well, yeah, that sounds great, but not for me. Um, and then they kept saying, no, 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 you need to think about going into priesthood. Um, and finally, one of them who had been picking me up for, um, to bring me to church, pulled the car over and said, look, if you don't go talk to the priest about going into priesthood, you and I are going to have a really hard set of rides going forward. <laughs> so um, you don't cross the altar guild. Um, I, I say all that to say, I, mean, I, I felt a call towards um, ordained ministry very early on, but I thought because of who I was, um, who um, at the time that, the church wasn't ready or the church was not an, an option. I figured, well, I go back when I'm older, you know, once I've gone and got some life experience and found a job and all that stuff, I'd go back, but that was not meant to be. Um, that phone call next, or not that phone call, that, that all to guild person that pulled over the car next to the road, kind of saying, you need to go do this was the, the, the two by four that I needed. Um, and the, the, the same is true even being called to um, now being the bishop-elect of Missouri. Um, there's someone, I can't find her, she's on here somewhere, who was my two-by-four who kept saying to me, you know, this profile kind of has your name on it. You might want to think about it. And I kept thinking, I probably had a text. I kept texting her back saying, no, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think that they're not going to elect a black gay man. Are you kidding me? Um, but she kept persist. I, I will give her the persistence award. <laughs> um, and so she persisted and, you know, here I am. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit too about, I mean, the other big thing I think about when I think about vocation and calling is, um, around my marriage. Uh, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, um, your family and, and the calling that you have found there, um, and how yeah. it's, how it's played with your faith. Um, so the, the joy of my family in the midst of all of this is um, they keep me grounded and they keep me sane. Um, my husband was raised Roman Catholic and still has a lot of the Roman Catholic background, um, although he's exploring a lot more Episcopal stuff <laughs> lately. Um, and we're, we're trying to balance how the kids experience church. Um, it's, it's kind of odd now. I mean, my, my eight-year-old son loves going to church because he is an, I'm an extrovert and he's an extreme extrovert. Mm. So anything that gives him attention, he is all for it. Um, and so he, he, he loves church because people are just like, oh my God. So um, and our daughter is in the same vein, but not to that, not to the level that he is. Um, so the challenge now is how do we nurture faith with a family now that's kind of split? Because um, our daughter is not with us here in St. Louis. She is still in Michigan um, with her grandparents. And the plan is that she's going to stay there for a while. <laughs> yeah. um, and so our son's here and I am, I'm balancing being, being 
you know, bishop elect and dad. Um, and it's it's an interesting challenge because anytime that I even think about getting anything close to an ego, an eight-year-old is a really good reminder that egos don't work when you go home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I'm finding that for sure with our one-year-old, which is a different game entirely, but uh, is the- Watch out. <laughs> yeah. When I think I can fix something, he reminds me I cannot fix anything. Um, oh, wait, wait until they start talking back. <laughs> Yeah, that's just starting. That's just starting. So say a word if you would. I mean, you are coming into this ministry and we had this wonderful timeline and you arrived on March 1st. And I, you know, I'd asked you about doing Theology on Tap in March and you said, oh, no, that'll be the week I arrived. So let's do April. And the difference between a month ago and today (laughs) and what ministry looks like and what the time, it's just so incredible. So when we, when I pitched that question to you about, you know, what does faith look like for, for challenging times, I, I'm picky about pronoun, mm-hmm. you know, like, but for challenging times, um, say a bit about what you've been in the midst of with all the change going on in your life that was already going to be a lot of change. Well, um, we're, we're living into transition is, or leaning into transition is what um, we've been saying because um my family that's here, um, and, my, and the joy is that my mother is with us as well. So she can be grandma and that, that's really helpful. Um, but it's, it's, it's leaning into transition. Um, we don't have a wider community outside of you know, the diocesan stuff. Um, I mean, my son has um, uh, not quite asthma, but not too far from it. Um, and so we don't even have a pediatrician yet, and I don't think we're going to have one for a while. Um, so that, so I mean, those are some of the challenges that we face into the transition. Um, but the irony is, like, this has become my new normal. I don't know. <laughs> I have not engaged with the diocese in any other form so far, except through Zoom <laughs> or you know some kind of video, um, <laughs> some kind of video conferencing. So there's that. Um, it, it is challenging, um, and the good thing is I, I lean on the things that have sustained me through other events in life. Um, you know, one of the things that we do as a family every night um, is we sit and have dinner together. Um, and that, dining, that dining room table is a really important thing for me. Um, there, I, I'll tell you a quick story, then I'll stop talking for a bit. Um, when I was growing up, there's a dining room table in our kitchen. And it was you know, a pretty innocuous looking dining room, a pretty innocuous table. Um, and I remember at one point, my grandmother, who at the time was in her late 70s, said to me growing up that you know, her grandfather made that table. And I never really thought about the table until I grew up, um, until I you know, have, have a kid and then it makes you think about, the, about history. And I thought about that table and I rec- realized that that table was made by my great, great, great grandfather, who at the time was a slave. And the fact that he could have never, ever thought that one of his descendants could be sitting here today yeah. in the position that he's sitting in. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of sustained me when, when, I, when it feels like this is overwhelming. I think of what he had to go through and recognize that, you know, I'm living a life that he could never have even imagined. 
That's so you go. That, that gets me through when I feel like, oh my God, I have to go to the 10th Zoom meeting or something, or, you know, how are we going to get through this? I think of those people who've gone before me and go, no, I, I need to be here doing what I'm doing at this moment. That's really, I mean, like one of the things uh, we talk about a lot in Christian theology is how memory is a form of prayer. Um, mm -hmm. And so much of what we do, I mean, usually week in, week out as a Christian community is remember who we are. Um, yeah. That's part of our orientation. I wonder what other prayer practices, um, besides dinner with your family, what else is grounding you right now or what else has seen you through challenging times? Hmm. Well, um, we are still at a place where I can still get up in the morning before my household gets up and go for a walk. <laughs> um, and one of the things I do, I'm usually the first up in the house anyway. And so kind of sitting at the table and just listening to the house wake up. Mm. Um, it, it sounds odd, but it's, you know, I, I, I think houses almost have their own like symphony that goes on. You know, you hear the creaking of the, of the floor and, you know, the growling of a dog here and birds beginning to chirp. And so for me, kind of having that quiet before everybody begins, it's kind of a meditative way to begin my day. Um, and I found that um, I've been posting prayers on Facebook in the morning and in the evening. And so the ones that aren't attributed usually are the ones that I have to write. <laughs> um, and so I being able to be in that practice of being creative and writing um, because I'm, I tend to be a creative mind that I just have to write things. And so being able to be creative has been really um, sustaining, especially now. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that, has that been a practice for you before to post regularly on Facebook, the, that kind of writing? Generally, no. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm a liturgist, so I write a lot of liturgies and some of them just don't need to see the time, of, does not, do not need to see the light of day. Some of them are just so bad, it's like, no. Um, but, um, prayers come to me in fragments and a lot of the times I just write them down and I keep them, I have, um, yeah, where did it go? Uh, around my desk somewhere, there's a notebook that I usually write down most of the stuff that comes to my mind. And sometimes they develop into prayers and sometimes they develop into pieces of liturgy or sometimes they're just, you know, thoughts that came out and got written down. And so, um, that, that continues to happen, whether they get published or whether I, you know, I, now I'm more challenged to come up with, okay, I need to put something here. And usually I go back and refine something that I've done before. Yeah, I find it a fascinating um, sort of, we're all living in this new time in terms of just even how we interact with time, how we interact with each other. Uh, a large number of us are having Zoom meetings or, you know, not interacting with colleagues in the same way. And it's caused changes with prayer. It's caused changes with writing. Um, and I think it's interesting to hear you reflect on that you're, you're doing this new practice and you're in the midst of transition both around, you know, your ministry is going to look a lot different than it did when you were a parish priest. And it looks a lot different than it would have looked like if you'd just been the bishop elect and things had stayed um, yeah. what they were going to be. What are the, um, we're doing this uh, question uh, with all of the Zoom groups we host in our parish right now, but when, whenever we get a group of people together on Zoom, we're asking, 
what are some of the blessings you're finding and what are some of the challenges you're finding? I know we've already named a few of them, but I wonder, are, are there any particular challenges that you're mindful of um, when you think about this faith for challenging times? Like what comes to your mind for challenges? Um, I, I think for me, one of the challenges is how do we continue to be those beacons of light and love, especially now when we're distance? Um, I, I worry sometimes that as the church, we turn into an echo chamber that we just echo to ourselves. Um, and I, I often find that the church, whenever we find ourselves sometimes in, in a crisis, we, we, we try to double down on theology. And I don't think right now is the time for us to worry about too much about theology. I think as a church, what we are called right now to worry about is responding, being, being pastoral to folks that need to be pastoral, to be sharing, you know, that we have a faith tradition that um, at its heart, can navigate through these challenging times. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm a history, I mean, one of my majors in, is, was in college was history. And so I usually look back to history and every single movement, every single major challenge um, that a society, that we as a society has faced, the church faith has been kind of the steady throughout it. Um, to, to get people through. I mean, I think of like the civil rights movement here, um, Martin Luther King and, you know, We Shall Overcome wasn't just a hymn. It wasn't just a song. It, it was what people truly deeply believed. Um, I mean, even with like Harvey Milk in San Francisco and LGBTQ plus rights, you know, the, the, the stuff that was being said and done didn't just come out of we need justice it came out from a deep place of faith mm. um and so you look at practically every movement that's happened and that deep faith has been a part of it um i i, I think what's happening right now is that the church our society our world is shifting um this this global pandemic has made us realize how much we need each other um, we, we think of that word physical distancing or social distancing, um, and most of us cringe <laughs> at the thought of not being able to be, you know, to touch someone or to be near someone. Um, and yet, we realize now that we are all in this together, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that we really are one one human family trying to navigate from our traditions and our cultures and our faith beliefs. Um, and if we can kind of, as a church, figure out, you know, how do we continue to be faithful <laughs> in the midst of this crisis? I think the church can come out on the other end, being a force for even more good. Mm -hmm. So I ask this next question, knowing that it may be not an easy one for you to answer, but um, a number of us that are in this chat are um, members of parishes, not everybody, um, but a number of us are. And, and you just left the role of being the rector of a parish where you were beloved and where you deeply loved your people. It was very obvious. Um, it must be difficult to be going through these times to you know, know that they're going through these times while they're in the midst of a transition too. Yeah. Um, but I wonder about if you were, if you were still a rector, um, what would you be 
looking to how would you be encouraging your people in the parish uh, to engage in these times? What opportunities would you be looking for to do just exactly what you said about um, you know loving and 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 showing who God is to folks? Yeah. Well, that is a really hard question to try to answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you have a couple hours? Uh, um, I mean, I, I think we become the best of who we are. Um, I mean, here's a perfect example. So my family moved here a couple of weeks ago and all of our neighbors around, around us all knocked on our doors, all came by and dropped off me. One of them dropped off um, a gooey butter cake, mm -hmm. a chocolate gooey butter cake. Yeah. So I have a friend for life now. Um, they all stopped in, they all stopped by just to say hi and welcome to the neighborhood. Um, they didn't invite me to anything. They didn't, you know, push anything on me. They just simply said, welcome to the neighborhood. Here's a small gift. Mm. Now imagine if all of us, I mean, keeping our physical distance, of course, reached out to our neighbor and left a little note that just said, you know, just reminding you that, God loves you and so do I. Or on Easter Sunday, left a, a, a simple flower or something on someone's doorstep just to remind them that, you know, God is in the business of resurrection. I mean, simple little things that we take for granted, um, but little simple, simple gestures make a big difference. Um, I think it's Maya Angelou who said, you know, people aren't going to remember what you say to them, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we have an opportunity to make people feel, you know, that they're not going through this by themselves. That's, a, I mean, you're talking about a word that, you know, often in the Episcopal Church, we run away from about evangelism. Uh, and I heard two pieces on it there. Like one, um, you know, that just means being a good news bearer and helping people feel in the midst of this, that there is still a possibility of good news, that we are in this together. And that's part of the good news. But the other thing that I heard you say that, and I'd not thought about this before, but in some ways, St. Louisans uh, are maybe better set up to learn how to be evangelists than others because they already know how to evangelize for their city. You know, they didn't just bring a cake, they brought a gooey butter cake. So I wonder about whether St. Louisans might be set up to be in that business, to proclaim to their neighbors the good news. If you can proclaim to your neighbors the good news of St. Louis, you can proclaim to your neighbors the good news that they're not alone in this. Um, I'll take it. <laughs> so we're going to um, do a transition. Usually when we're at Schlafly or at the pub, um, what I do is I send people off to breakout rooms and we will do that in a moment. Um, but with Cheyenne's help, I'm going to ask folks um, down at the bottom of your window, there should be something that says participants 40 on it. And if you click that little thing, a little screen will come up that has the names of everybody, but also has options to raise your hand or hit yes, no, or I think you can tell us you're going for a break and things too. Um, but we're gonna use that, or you can send a chat just to Cheyenne um, and I'll let her read out loud. But if you'd like to ask a question of Bishop Dion in the big group, and a reminder in the big group, we, um, we were, planning to publicize this as part of our podcast for Theology on Tap. You can come back and listen to it at pubtheologystl.org. Uh, so if you ask a question, know your voice might go out over the interwebs beyond just tonight. 
Um, but if you'd like to raise, ask a question, you raise your hand or send it in the chat to Cheyenne and she'll, or you can just raise your hand in the video and we'll try to call on you. We're a few screens deep now, so. I'm not seeing hands yet, but I don't know if I can. You can sing the Jeopardy theme. Yeah, Mary Haggerty is making a face like she's trying to raise her hand. Maybe we could get Mary to ask a question. I'll call on Mary Haggerty. Shane, can you unmute Mary? Hi, Mary. Uh, hi. I, my question, um, forgive me because I'm still in seminary, so my head is still up here. <laughs> but, um, I guess my question is that the sacraments are so constitutive of who we are. And um, I would just love to hear your thoughts on not being able to celebrate the sacraments and the impact that's having and how, how we navigate those waters and remain who we are. Yeah. Well, that is a really good question um, and a really tough question to try to answer. Um, but I will give it a try. Um, I mean, we are a sacramental church. Um, ours is a faith that gathers around a dining room table, for better or for worse, and shares a meal, um, generally when we get together. And it is hard not to get together and share food, um, the body and blood, the bread and wine, on Sundays or the days that we get together for worship. Um, and yet, that does not mean that we can't feast on the word. Um, I mean, I think it, we, we have an Old Testament prophet that decided to go eat one of the, the sacred scrolls. Um, I'm not recommending going eat the Bible. I don't think it tastes very good. <laughs> but um, it means, though, that as a sacramental church, we get to explore the sacraments in a different way. Um, we get to experience more deeply what it means to be a, a, a faith community shaped by a sacred story. Um, I think it gives us an opportunity to dig more deeply into the Gospels, into the New Testament writings, into the Hebrew scripture, um, and to find in that the sustenance we need until we get to that place where we can once again celebrate Easter. Um, my, my, my refrain um, since this all has begun is that Easter is coming. Mm. Um, and I'm not talking April 21st, uh, April 12th. I'm talking about the Easter when we all can get back together and we can celebrate and we can do those things that define who we are as a community of faith. Um, so, I mean, I firmly believe Easter is coming. Um, and in the meantime, this is a long Lent. Um, and I, I said over Facebook pretty early on in this that when we do get back together, we're going to call it Easter 2.0. <laughs> and we're delaying the brass and we're delaying the hallelujah chorus and we're delaying all of it. But when we get back together, boy, it's going to be a party. Um, the other thing I like I was it. Thinking, there was a really wonderful, I'm hearing you echo it, but there was a, a reflection from the presiding bishop that came out today or yesterday, really recently, around this particular question. Um, and I, he had some really profound things to say, I think, about there are things we can do virtually and there are things that it's just not the same. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so while we're in this, you know, period of lament, this period in the desert, it really is hard to, to in the sacraments, I think the word he used was, it requires stuff and it mm -hmm. requires people able to gather around the stuff. Yep. Uh, and I know that, you know, the questioner and yourself are both in thinking about one of the sacraments in particular in terms of 
what does this look like? Your ordination consecration has been delayed uh, and Mary is scheduled to be ordained a priest in June and we're all living in this liminal space of what is that going to look like? Yeah. Um, I want to call on, uh, there was somebody with just the first name, Deborah, who had her hand up and then her hand went away. So are you still, okay. Cheyenne, can you unmute Deborah? Yep. Hi, Deborah. Hi, how are you? I am um, well, how are you? <laughs> I didn't have such a deep question like Mary had. My question is, so many of the women that I talk to, I'm with Episcopal Church women, and so many of the women I talk to are wanting to um, get to know each other outside of their parishes and trying to find those vehicles and, and that it's okay to mix up and to, and to learn about each other. And, and I'm wondering, you know, we're working on that as a board of how will that look? How will, how, how is that going to all play out? And of course we had our first one scheduled <laughs> for in May, but you know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> We'll be busier. <laughs> we'll be busy trying to get, you know, trying to have your ordination, have all the ordinations or your consecration and have all the ordinations and such and um, have to have that excitement die down a little bit before we, we jump into that. But one of the big things is to connect not only within our diocese, but to province five and to the national that we can all start to begin to connect together to be all one. Yeah. So well, your, I mean, your question is ways to connect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that I, I think we are in a, a really creative space. Um, you know, someone once said, never waste a good crisis. <laughs> um, we are in a really creative space. I mean, I went a couple, um, couple nights ago, we went to a virtual dinner. We made dinner, they made dinner. We put the laptop at the end of the dining room table and we had a dinner party together. Um, a couple of my friends went to a virtual cocktail party. Everybody made a cocktail, got on Zoom and, you know, did what you did. I mean, there's nothing that's stopping you from, hey, let's all order a book and read it together and do a book club. Let's all get together for a virtual cocktail hour. Let's all, you know, I mean, there, the, 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 the sky is the limit on the things that we can creatively come up with. Um, so I would challenge you to kind of look at this as, as more of an opportunity to say, okay, we, how can we do this in a different way that allows us to be more connected? Yeah, I, that's one of the, um, I mean, we're talking about things that we're going to carry going forward, but one of the things uh, as a priest who is, I, at this point, I'm not the youngest um, person on staff by far, but I was one of the younger clergy in the diocese for a while. And I was trying to get my congregation to do live streaming and to do Zoom participation and <laughs> for a long time before. And now suddenly everybody's figuring out the technical side that they were so fearful of before. Mm -hmm. um, and we're gonna walk out of this with the capacity to do these kind of things that maybe we didn't have before. So that's that's an interesting. Uh, Janice been... has her hand up too. So I'll let Dion keep going and then I'll call on Janice. Oh, I was gonna say, I, I've been longing for a nimble church and I think for better or for worse, we're going to come out the other side of this being a lot more nimble. Yeah. So Janice, I'm going to call on you because you have your hand raised. Uh, 
Hi, Janice. Uh, actually, it was uh, Kurt. Sorry. It was oh, me. Sorry. Never mind, Janice. <laughs> gets to ask you questions all the time. <laughs> so you're 31 days into uh, working with us here in the diocese. Um, what, what percentage of your time would you say you're spending on the crisis? And what are you itching to sink your teeth into? Oh, talk about easy questions. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm spending a decent amount of my time, I would say probably between 60 and 70% of my time dealing with, Janice could probably answer better than I can because I'm always calling her. <laughs> um, probably about 60% of my time is dealing with the crisis. The other 40% is um, the regular meetings that would happen. Um, meeting with clergy, meeting with postulants, folks that would be going through the ordination process and stuff like that. So um, it's just not in the same room, but a lot of the regular goings on still go on. Um, and what am I looking forward to was the second part of the question. What are you itching to sink your teeth into is what I, how I phrased it. But. Um, I am, I am itching to sink my teeth in how do we, um, begin to um, do evangelism in this new era? Um, how, how, do we, how do we find and found new worshiping and um, gathering communities in this time? Um, because one of my big things, even when I was a parish priest, was evangelism and church growth and church planting. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm like, Okay, let's get this. Let's get this going, so we can we can start figuring out how we revitalize some of our congregations and how do we look to start planting some new ones in some new places that um, are just itching for a presence. Uh, Sean Lavellet's got his hand up. Oh, thanks. Uh, hi. Um, my question is sort of related to what Mike said about um, people from St. Louis that are very proud of their city. Um, and do a lot of evangelism for the city. Uh, I guess my question is, as someone who's just recently stepping into this environment and this, this community, what do you see as like the unique challenges of our diocese and uh, also like our unique opportunities going forward once we're kind of out of the woods here? Hmm. Um, well, that's an even harder question to try to answer because I, I literally had two weeks of being able to drive around and do things. Um, so I, I, I can't say that I know, um, I can't say I know the diocese as well as I probably should. Um, and I can't say I know the challenges and the opportunities as well as I probably should as well. Um, I can only go with what was in the, the diocesan profile and the conversations that I've had so far. Um, one, of the, one of the opportunities I think there's an eagerness to try things. Um, there's an eagerness to let's think outside the box. Let's 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 do something in a different way, um, or figure out what that different way is, and let's do it together. Um, and so I'm all for that. I mean, I'm I'm like, let's try some stuff. We're gonna fail miserably at some things, um, and that's okay. Um, we'll fail up together. Um, but I'm 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 up for it. I'm up for the challenge of let's let's at least try so that we can say that we we did our part. So um, not seeing another hand, I'm going to ask one more question and then we're going to send folks out to talk in, um, in what are called breakout rooms, but smaller groups. Um, and I'm going to let Cheyenne try to whittle those down uh, to 
eight-ish people, if that's a possibility, and I'm still learning how Zoom works. So, um, but the last question I'll ask is sort of the flip side of what Sean just asked, which is, um, you know, you and I both come from generational Anglican Episcopal families, but as I scroll through all of the faces on here, I know that there are a lot of folks who are new Episcopalians. I even see people that are, um, I will tell you one of the, I, I think I shared with you not too long after you were elected, that after you were elected, there were a few folks in my congregation that said, okay, now I'm ready to be confirmed an Episcopalian. Hmm. So we've got folks that are- oh, I see Lisa waving. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got some folks that are relatively new to this tradition or may still be checking out the tradition. So are there things you think that, um, that we bring to the table, both in this crisis and writ large and what's going on in our society that are, that are suited or that you're proud of and looking forward to tell the good news about? Well, I, I think as a church, we have a unique position to be for our openness hmm. um, and our celebration of difference um, that we don't, um, and I can't say this across the board, but that we, we don't just say, oh, well, you're welcomed here to just agree, think, and act just like me. Um, thank God there's only one of me because there'd be some really boring conversations. Um, the good thing is, I mean, as, as a church, we say bring your whole self, um, not just the good parts, bring the good, the bad, the indifferent, and that's all welcomed here. Um, and for me, it all starts with that initiation, that baptism. Um, when I was growing up, um, and I really wish it was a part of our Episcopal prayer book, um, but I still do it anyway. Um, the priest would say to the person holding the baby, name this child. Um, and it wasn't just a, a time for the person just to give the baby a name. It was the church officially recognizing this person um, and saying in no uncertain terms that the church claims that person. So it was a naming, a claiming, and an affirming. And for me, that is what I think we as Episcopalians get to go out into the world and share that good news, that we will name you, we will claim you, and we will affirm you no matter who you are. I mean, if, if a diocese like Missouri could elect someone like me, there's hope for all of us. <laughs> mm -hmm. I always do that too, but it's mostly as a priest because I found it's a good trick to not baptize the baby by the wrong name. <laughs> um, I, I like your theology well, it's helpful better. too, but <laughs> <laughs> I like your theology better. So um, I'm going to ask Cheyenne first to do a quick screen share and then to break us into groups. Um, we have a series of three questions, which usually would be upside down on your table in front of you, but are going to instead be available on the web at pubtheologystl.org. That's pubtheologystl.org, which Cheyenne may bring up as a screen share real quick. Um, but there's three questions there. Um, what are some of the familiars from your childhood that you miss? Um, and Annie Lamott says that prayer comes in the form of help, thanks, and awe. Um, how have these prayer forms sustained you in times of crisis? And how is your body, mind, and spirit fed in uncertain times? So we're going to break into breakout groups and take you off of mute and ask you to talk with each other about those questions.
we're going to do you a favor and jump through the small groups right to the big group discussion with question and answer for the bishop-elect. Uh, so related to the questions that you asked, but sort of tangentially, somebody in our, our group asked a question that um, I thought was pretty great of, are there new routines that people are stepping into in this new time? Um, and there was some, uh, that was a lovely thing to be invited to think about. Yeah. Deanne, you want to reflect on that at all? New routines? Well, my new routine is to get up, get dressed, get on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Repeat. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, some of our family routines have been, um, we, we, we've kind of gotten into a pattern of we, we do dinner, um, but um, I don't know if this is frustration or if this is going to be joy ultimately. Um, but we've started doing, um, I think we have a 500 piece puzzle. And so on certain days of the week, we do a puzzle. And so we kind of try to do things to stay connected because we're in this, all four of us are in this house together. And um, I'd like to come back out with all four of us at the other end. <laughs> so um, we're, we're kind of getting into little bits of grooves and we all know when to go to our own corner and when to come back together. Anybody else want to raise their hand and ask a question, share something that you shared with the group? Uh, Rudy. I'm trying, look, I'm trying to look at screens in addition to the hand raising. Kara had a question in the chat. Um, she wanted to ask Dion about his lighting because he looks wonderful. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I will just be snarky and say that's one of the benefits of a gay bishop. <laughs> I know how to light. No, <laughs> I don't. I need to work on my night lighting in this room really well when I well, get the night. I have an LED light thing that's sitting on the other side of my computer so that I can make sure that I that I can see you and that you can see me better. That that has become one of the things about this new reality though is watching people learn how to mute themselves and how to get earpieces and there could I mean I'm sure there'll be a whole practical theology of Zoom and correct participation by the end of it certainly a miss manners but yeah. Well, see, the, the other thing that I've been using recently is I've been doing that. So oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get on a beach and, you know, enjoy. <laughs> you can uh, you can take the um, man out of the islands, but you can't take the islands out of the man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Any other questions that came up? I There was something that um, I won't name the person because I would let them name themselves, but um, somebody reflected on uh, the examine in our group. Um, and how the discipline, I think we often, when we think about disciplines and when we, um, when we think about, you know, prayer practices, we, we think about, you know, we're still in Lent for a few more days uh, and we'll be in Lent metaphorically for a while longer, but we tend to think about these things that we're supposed to do and like this, there's a lot of should with Lent, but with the examine, this person was saying there's this the first thing you do is you remember what you're thankful for. You remember the blessings. And I wonder, um, you know, like what, you named a couple of things that for you help you be thankful. Um, but are there other things you might want to name about thankfulness and blessings as a, as a way to think about um, grounding yourself these days? Um, well, I, I, I go back to the song that my, my grandmother's singing. Um, there's this wonderful song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. 
and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Um, she actually used to sing that. Um, and it, for me, that's been a, a really important thing. Um, I have a journal that's over here. Oh, you did find it. I found it. Um, this little book that um, I, I actually bought it right before this happened. And so it has, you know, a day, uh, it, it's a simple journal, but it says, um, it asks for the date, what made me happy, what I learned, what I'm grateful for, and tomorrow I'm going to. Um, and I've been trying to use it at the end of my day um, to find something to be thankful for. And I mean, I usually find that what I'm writing down for the things that are thankful for are a lot longer than the things that I'm stressing about. Mm. That's, I mean, another Episcopalian, Brene Brown, uh, writes that what she has found in her research around shame, around, you know, she she's sort of a researcher built for times like these, mm-hmm. um, but is that she has a phrase that she takes from the Book of Common Prayer about people that are wholehearted, uh, people that have the sort of capacity to get through tough times, uh, people that are able to work through the difficulties of life. Uh, and she gets that, you know, um, from actually our confession in the Book of Common Prayer, we have not loved you with our whole hearts. Whole heart. mm-hmm. And so she said, I wondered what wholehearted would look like. And she said the only consistent thing in the data set was that they had not just an attitude of gratitude, but a practice of gratitude. That finding ways to say thank you to others and to God were a big part of what helped people be wholehearted and move through things. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, um, one last story, my my grandmother right before, she was a caregiver for my great uncle um, and she at one point could not take care of him anymore. And so she had to have him put into a, we don't have nursing homes in Barbados. We have these things called almhouses. And so he had to go to an almhouse. Um, and he died like two weeks after that. And she was devastated. I mean, devastated. And I remember her at the funeral walking through the cemetery and like railing at God. I mean, she said some words that I didn't, I mean, she said some curse words that I didn't even know existed. Um, I mean, she was so mad at God that he had died. Um, and yet she went home and she did her prayers as normal. Um, and for me, it really was that, okay, you can be mad at God. You can tell God off. You can be pissed off at God and that is okay. Um, it means that you're still in relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that balance of both, you can still find thanks and it's okay to be angry. I think mm-hmm. we're all swinging between those couple of places and, uh, and faith is what helps us navigate between them right now is that's a sort of lovely place to leave it. Um, So I want to say thank you. Um, Thank you uh, to Bishop-elect Dion uh, A for uh, saying yes to Beth Scriven's bullying and putting in your application. (laughs) Uh, And then B uh, for joining us today. I think um, we all have a lot to look forward to with your leadership. Um, And thank you to everyone who joined us and thank you for um, sticking around and doing the breakout rooms and sticking around to this last bit. Uh, We will be back on Zoom on May 6th. Um, And do, if you haven't um, signed up for our email list before, uh, please do that at pubtheologystl.org and we will let you know who our next speaker will be for May 6th. Um, But thank you, Belek Dion, and thank you to everyone who participated tonight. Uh, And I hope pubtheology.org, STL. Cheyenne just put it to everyone in the chat, so you've got the link right there. 
Um, and that is Theology on Tap for tonight. So enjoy your beverages and your meals and your loved ones. And we hope to see you next month. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you.